Hey, it's Dr. G. And whether you've been a longtime listener or you're new to the podcast, welcome. Have you ever felt like you wanted to start over or reinvent your life? If so, I want to invite you to tell me all about it. I really need your advice. And to reward you for your time, I'm going to be choosing nine listeners to join me on a free one-on-one relaunch game plan call. This call is designed to help you get clear on your specific goals so you can relaunch your life. To join in and be eligible for the free call, go to discover.drgordon.me. That's discover.drgordon.me and answer all the questions. I look forward to reading your responses and talking to you soon. Thanks for your help and thanks for launching your life with me. Welcome to the Launch Your Life podcast, the only mindset podcast that provides weekly actionable insights for lasting happiness and change for high achieving professionals who are ready to bounce back from burnout. I'm your host, Dr. G, and today we're talking to Suzanne Falter. After losing her daughter, Teal, in 2012, Suzanne discovered the healing power of self-care. She's the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast and is the author of many self-help books, including the Extremely Busy Women's Guide to Self-Care. She runs a Facebook community of over 55,000 women called Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women. During the podcast, we talk about grief and loss as an opportunity for growth, reinvention, parenting our inner child, recognizing and addressing burnout, setting appropriate boundaries, and much more. Stay to the end to find out how to fit exercise and meditation together into your busy life. Every day at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, I post on LinkedIn. Follow me there and just search for Dr. Michelle Gordon to get actionable life launching tips. And when you're ready to create change in your life, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email drgdrg at drgordon.me. I'm happy to talk to you to find out if you're a fit for one of our life-changing programs. Thanks for launching your life with me. Now let's get to Suzanne. Suzanne, welcome to our podcast, the Launch Your Life podcast. Tell me uh, a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Hello, Dr. G. Glad to be here. Well, uh, I wander onto podcasts like this sometimes because my focus is self-care. And I got there through extreme crisis. In uh, 2012, okay. I was an workaholic, super driven, type A, had been for decades, kind of gal who had um, really bottomed out in my career. I, I had a business that was very successful and I had to close it because I was burning out. Mm-hmm. And the relationship I was in had uh, also just ended. And I had just moved into an apartment with this partner. And so I had to move out. And I had found myself in July of 2012 with no work, no home, and no relationship. And I was driving around the Bay Area um, in a little car with my stuff in the back. And I was kind of new to the Bay Area. I'd only lived there a few years. And um, my daughter, Teal, had come out to join me in California. And she was um, just getting set up in her own apartment. And... um, I went out to dinner one night with her in August, and she went back to her little apartment and had a massive uh, cardiac arrest and died six days later. Oh, wow. How old was she? She was 22. And uh, she she died uh, from 
an unexplainable cardiac arrest. And this is important because Teal really wanted to be a healer. And um, she had been a blues singer. She was a trained blues singer. <laughs> and one day she just was like, I've got I've to gotta heal people. I don't know how. And she was just about to start taking classes at City College in San Francisco the next day. And um, so when I went to the hospital and saw her all stretched out, she was, her heart was restarted, but she never came out of her, um, she was in a coma basically, and she never came out of it because she had um, extensive brain damage from being without a heartbeat sure. for some time. But her heart was started again, and she was sort of in this limbo state for about six days. And I saw her lying on the bed, and I knew that she would die. But I also knew that I would be reborn in some strange way, and it had a lot to do with her desire to help people. And that I was going to put away this work that wasn't resonant, and I was going to stop being such a self-involved, overworked, um, kind of brutal, somewhat narcissistic, driven lady. And I was going to mm -hmm. calm down, and I was going to redo everything about my life. So it was pretty convenient. I no longer had a career, relationship, or a home. So very slowly over the next two years, in a very humble way, I, I didn't work. I didn't do any work for two years. And I spent that time just focusing on self-care and, and really learning about how to take care of my own needs. And out of that came my work as an author and a podcaster. And, and um, you know, I, I am here to help other busy, driven women fine self-care and and I'm here to help people go through crises and turn them into life enhancing experiences because what I'll say now almost 10 years later is that I am the happiest I've ever been in my entire life and it can yeah, happen yeah. even after a major loss I, I talk a lot about meaning and how whatever meaning we ascribe to an event is the experience we're going to have. And for you, it sounds like you took the the death of your daughter and you made it a birth for you. Yeah. And in, in um, you know, a lot of people, what happens is they have a crisis and, you know, a circumstance happens. The circumstance itself is neither good nor bad. It just is. And, you know, we, as humans with emotion who are self-aware, we have to then start to deal with how, what that emotion means to us and, you know, how much we want to suffer. And so I think, I think that this is so poignant. My son had cancer when he was a baby. Oh. And uh, so I've seen a lot of death. Uh, I'm also a surgeon. I've seen a lot of death. Oh yeah, of right? course. And um, I, I, the way I look at the, the, the negative circumstances, the things that you could 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 see as negative the things that happened to me the abuse or you know these weird these weird traumas is i see them as this opportunity to create a new story yep that's right they are an opportunity yeah. to create a new story and they're an opportunity to let your life become the life you want instead of the life you thought you were supposed to lead because i'll tell you dr g I was all about making money and it became yeah. really fun and sexy and titillating when it happened. And then the minute the bottom dropped out, it became like the last thing I cared about. 
And this was my moment yeah. of really being in the fulcrum of what counts in life. You know, it was like all of the excess nonsense got burned away. And I was suddenly mm -hmm. in a place where I could really tell the truth about what I didn't like about my life. And the very first thing I didn't like was my work, as lucrative as it may be. And then the second thing yeah. I didn't even like, I didn't even like earning a lot of money because you were on the hook for so much stuff. You were you were suddenly responsible for all these things, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's so good. I mean, once, you know, once you get your basic needs met, it's a lot there's a thing about money and you can get to a certain point where it doesn't really improve the quality of life anymore. It no. just is That's right. you know, more money. Yeah. And um you know, for me, as a, I had a multimillion-dollar surgical practice, and I hated every day. I hated <laughs> opening the door. I hated, you know, I hated dealing with the hospital. Mm -hmm. I hated, I, and I, and I took one, you know, and then the pandemic happened, Oy. and and hospitals got even more locked down mm -hmm. and more controlling than they were, and it felt it felt like going to a prison every day. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't have to do this, and I stopped. And that was, that was after, that was like in early in the pandemic, like June or July or something. And I was like, I, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. So I think there's a good opportunity for us to talk about burnout. We spend a lot, you know, this podcast is really for, you know, high, high achieving professionals who want to bounce back or, or prevent uh, burnout. And so maybe, maybe we can talk a little bit about what those, the first signs that you were burned out for you? Mm, that's a great question because I think this is where we all get stuck. And you know, I was so busy trying to pretend that everything was okay that I couldn't even mm. acknowledge the signs of burnout. And the first one was I didn't like what I was doing. And I began to resent yeah. my clients. And I had a fun business partner, this lovely man who lived over in the Castro and I was in San Francisco and you know, everything was groovy and I'd just come out and he was like helping me, you know, explore the fun gay world of <laughs> the Bay Area. And it was all cool. Absolutely. And um, then I'd have to come home and actually do the coaching. <laughs> I was like, oh, my energy just like totally drooped. And I, you know, I was, I was grateful to help people and I definitely helped people, but I was feeling like a fraud because I was presenting myself as a real front of the room dazzler. And I, I'm not that person. I'm kind of shy, actually. And I, I knew, you know, I knew enough about uh, public speaking. I'd done a lot of it and I knew how to lead a workshop. And I, I had this cool guy with me on stage. We were leading these big events. And it was just like this big spiral that just kept going up and up and up. And and I started hating it more and more. And he broke up with one of his boyfriends like an hour before one of our events. And he was like, you know, it was just way too much intensity and too much drama. And, and <laughs> lots of drama. <laughs> I mean, God. And, and I mean, the queen drama going I'm on. I'm kidding. And, and God love him. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the same place at all. But I had the totally dysfunctional relationship going on as well. And the two of, of us course. were just, we always used to say we were like Jack and Jill going up the hill, like, you know, to get our a little pail of water trying to like get through this this work we felt we'd been given and um the work was pretty cool but i felt like i was in overwhelm a lot and i think the early signs yeah. were exhaustion overwhelm way too much overstimulation 
that's one of the great things about having the excellent excuse of grieving for a period of time. You just say, I can't do it. I'm grieving. And uh, nothing yeah. happened for two years. <laughs> like, I didn't have any clients. I didn't have any. Well, I mean, I tried to restart my business a few times. And, and each time it failed miserably, like really badly, like people hacking into the website, taking it down kind of thing. And and all yeah, of you know, that's just, really interesting. You know, just disappeared. But because the universe is was pushing you, mm-hmm. and you know, I have this one client who talks about how the universe like came and made her fall off of a horse mm. because she was she was running away mm. from from her calling, mm. and it, it sounds like the universe is really pushing you in the same way to to be more you know in the healing space by you know getting hacked and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think this is just so fascinating. So when it comes, so when it comes to recovering from burnout, a lot of like corporate burnout kind of programs, you know, will say, take a, you know, take some self care and, you know, that it, a lot of, there's a lot more to it than that though, than, than just like setting boundaries and, and doing some self care and, and, I, I post on LinkedIn every day, and, and one of the things I posted a, f- a few weeks ago was about how there is a system that is that is creating burnout in the corporate world, in the medical world, and we're allowing mm. it. And and I don't I don't know I'm not I'm not a big you know I'm not interested in really being a big change agent in in some other corporation. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like what can I do for me? What kind of life do I want? How do I, you know, what, where do I want to go? How do I want to make money? And that sort of thing. And I realized that I did not want to be tied to a hospital. That wasn't, and I didn't want to be treated like the chattel, you know, Mm -hmm. on a farm. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And so I just quit. (laughs) We do what we must. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, what you know you say that you you help people with self care so what let's talk about what is self care well what self care is to me is it is an inside job it's about asking for help it's about knowing you need it it's about being vulnerable enough with other people to let them in a little so you aren't doing everything alone and it is about mm-hmm. setting boundaries because boundaries are where we begin and so many of the women in say my facebook group or the podcast listeners i hear from they are unable to figure out where to even begin to reclaim their lives. And, it, and you know, busy driven women who are successful are leaders of that pack because so many of us have been caught up in the demands of clients and bosses and boards of directors and constituents and whoever we're leading. You know, we believe that we can't stop or the world will crumble. And so there's a whole set of myths, you know, real myths we tell ourselves about self-care that really destroy it. And the number one one is that there's no time for self-care, that you can't get to it. But there's no time because you've designed a life that isn't yours, right? So Mm. then number two is I can't say no or everybody will be disappointed or they'll hate me or there simply is nobody else who can do this or nobody will do it as well as me. Well, it's all bullshit. You know, it really, it's Mm. uh, just not true. And what's not true about it is everything because there's, you know, if you were, God forbid, hit by a bus and you wind up in Dr. G's operating theater or former operating theater and you're 
you've got to be put back together and there's nobody to, you know, do the laundry and run the presentation and, you know, drive the kids to school. And well, life will go on for all of those people without you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, one thing I like to tell people is, you know, what do people do when their doctor dies? (laughs) Right, right. They get another doctor. I mean, you know, and so I, and I especially tell that to doctors because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we have to, no one else is going to care for our time the way we do. And we have to, we have to really be responsible. I mean, I, I'm a true believer in radical responsibility Mm -hmm. and in, in everything, you know, we, we get the outcomes that we create. (laughs) <laughs> based on based on how we choose to think and how we choose to you know believe things and if if you know if we're not getting the 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 outcomes that we want it might be because we are not choosing to look at our habits mm-hmm. and the things that are that, that's creating creating our lives so you you gave us a couple of myths of self-care. What are the five basics of self-care? Well, the basics are all about this inside job, like I said. And the first one is understanding your needs. And so many of us are unwilling to look at our needs or just haven't in such a long time that we don't know how to access them, that this is where all self-care begins. And I suggest anybody listening this begin to ask themselves the, the simple question of what do I need right now? And you will be shocked by what you hear. And in you might be surprised if you hear like crickets, you know, you don't have any idea what you need. So getting in touch yeah. with what you need is the number one step. But then number two is getting that put in place, which may mean setting some boundaries. And setting a boundary is simply saying no in a non-dramatic, straightforward, clear, firm, polite way that allows everybody to understand that you are taking up space and it's okay. You know, there's no apologizing. There's no justifying. There's no explaining it. There's just, I need to start taking Fridays off, you know? And, mm-hmm. and uh, how, does that, how can we make that work for you? You know, it's not like we're giving the world, you know, flipping the bird to the world. We're not doing that. What we're doing is we are getting very clear where we begin and um, where others end and we begin. And one of Mm -hmm. the things that you can do to really know that is to listen to your body. Now, Teal, I learned a lot of self-care from Teal, my daughter who passed away, because she left behind some notebooks that were really helpful. And um, in my book, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, I quote a lot of those really fundamental things. And one of them was to listen to your body, to really tune into your body because your body's always telling you when someone is dishonest, when you are angry and you've had enough, your body is telling you when you're exhausted and you need to sleep, your body will answer that question of what I need right now if you stop long enough and create enough space to hear it. And number three, once you're clear on that, you begin to ask for help. And this was probably, as a real type A woman, this was the hardest thing for me because I always believed I had to be the hero in every situation, that I really wasn't safe relying on other people to step forward and, you know, and accept their help. 
Like, what would that mean about me? It would mean that I couldn't do something for once, you know? <laughs> My picture of myself as this, you know, super confident superwoman, well, that super confident superwoman was hiding a little kid who was really afraid of people and afraid to not be brilliant and amazing at everything. And I wasn't actually brilliant and amazing at everything, but I just had myself, you know, sort of uh, jazzed to believe that other people thought I was. I mean, it was all just a big web of illusions. And that went out the window sure. when Teal died, right? And number four, yeah. the fourth basic, of course, is just very simple, is to take action. It's to actually tell yourself, okay, so I notice I'm not moving. I need to start moving my body, something that uh, really is true for a lot of us since we uh, got real comfy during the pandemic. And um, what you have to do is you start to build self-care into your day. So you take action by figuring out what's that exercise going to be, what's it look like, how am I going to move, and you make it fun for yourself. You're going to actually put on a juicy novel on some headphones, an audio book, and you're going to walk in a pretty park, or you're going to take a, you know, a hot bath every Friday night with you know candlelight and crystals and whatever would make it really juicy, or you're going to find your way to, you know, a, a lovely bookstore if you like to browse for books, you know, or take yourself out for a lovely meal or, you know, what would be fun for you? How can you get some alone time? And then the fifth step mm. is you put it in your schedule. You schedule self-care time for you. And alone time counts. In fact, the neurological studies are that people who create time for themselves are just better able to handle the stressors of life. You know, you are are feeling stressed out probably because you can't hear yourself think. But once those voices get, you know, subdued, and maybe people will just take themselves out of the rat race, you know, you mentioned leaving your practice. Maybe people will dial mm -hmm. back the number of hours they're available for work. You know, maybe it'll become mm -hmm. a reasonable thing. Maybe they'll start taking lunch again. Maybe they will, you know, flex, flex, uh, use flexible hours or share their job with someone else, or maybe they'll find a different one. That's just the work scenario. Then yeah. you get home and it's all about asking your partner and your children to help you. And if you have no partner and you have no children, you get help in other ways. You find people in the community who would like to do a swap or you hire a cleaning person or, you know, whatever it takes to create time for you to do more than just collapse and drink a glass of wine or several when you get home, right? Yeah, no, that's that's really good. I think one of, one of the things that really um, struck me in, in your list there was that you said that there was a, a kind of a harmed little kid and so much of of what happens in our lives is a result of everything that we learned all the programming mm -hmm. that happened you know when we were children and the only way to get over that is to actually pay attention to it and then be the adult in that relationship and heal that child mm -hmm. but it, you know that's hard work <laughs> and not not everybody wants to take a look at all that trauma that may have occurred when when they were children because you know, I, I, I really think childhood is like a series of traumas that we, we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then now not everyone has a traumatic childhood, but, but there are still, you know, you think about how mean children oh, are God. to each other and how, and how, um, and how that kind of affects 
affects us as we grow up and that sort of thing. And, and so I, I just thought that there was a really good opportunity for that. And then I wanted to ask you a question about those people who are working from home and there's like really nobody else around. Mm-hmm. How do, you know, because now with the great resignation, people really wanting to stay home and not have to go in anywhere. How do we like create that space, that time? Because now work is at home. Okay, great question. And I can answer it as somebody who has worked at home since 1985. <laughs> mm, and, and one of the very first things I learned is you have to have a schedule. And there's work time and there's play time. And I try to keep my schedule super consistent. It's only now, um, like 35 years later, that I'm letting myself be a little more flex. But I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm a writer and a podcaster myself, and I'm doing time zones at different times of the day for different work projects. But um, I also am clear uh, as I get into my 60s that I need to spend time with my wife. I need to spend time with our dog. I need to spend time with my friends. And I need to, you know, spend time talking to my sisters and my brother and my son. And, you know, it's like I've got people out there counting on me. And work isn't as important as it used to be. So I do that um, wonderful rule of uh, the 80-20 rule, and I don't do that 80% of the work that um, really isn't that essential. Like, I haven't filed Mm -hmm. a paper in five years, you know? (laughs) I just don't do paper. And um, it saves a lot of time, that kind of thing. I I also um, have taken the pressure off myself in trying to get everything super excellent, and I just make it good enough. And good enough takes mm. less time and and it is less it sure stressful. Does. And sometimes I pay extra, you know, like, could I edit my podcast myself? Sure, but I have a great team and I like what they do, so I pay them. And, you know, is it a mm-hmm. little less money for my retirement? Sure, but is it all going to be okay? It will definitely be okay. It's like we have to make decisions that allow us to hold these zones and then I can get up from my desk and go for a walk at 2.30 in the afternoon because I want to. Because I've done, yeah. you know, I've checked off the box. So now I've dialed back to about three or four hours of work four days a week. And that's about it. And they, they kind of sprinkle through my day in a slightly less rigid structure than they used to. But, um, you mm-hmm. know, the other thing I like to do working at home is have a really nice workspace. And I, you are talking to me in an office. It's got a door. It's a separate room. It's in another part of our house from everything else. There is a dog who wanders by, who waved a paw earlier. And, um, you know, she's got her little zone. I got my little zone. It's all separate, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think um, trying to maintain, even if you have to put your office in the corner of a living room or dining room, just create a little screen or something around it so it feels like a separate space. Because when you're in that space, then you put on your work brain. When you go sit on the couch and you're watching, you know, whatever, you're watching on TV or or, or you're relaxing or you're meditating, you're in your not work zone. And that is more important yeah. than your work zone. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. I actually have a, an office as well. And, and um, 
I've tried working in multiple areas in my of my uh, my house. I've got a pretty big house, and I found that this this works. Mm-hmm. And I've set up a studio here, and I'm able to you know get my writing done when I have to write, and mm-hmm. you know every podcast is done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now when I'm on the road, I I just use a laptop and a good microphone, mm-hmm. and so you know it's it's and it, and I make it I make it okay. Mm-hmm. You know it's it has to be like you said good enough. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Let's talk about being extremely busy <laughs> and how that's probably just a mental model uh, more than anything else. Well, what can I tell you? For better part of 40 years, I really believed that if I wasn't extremely busy, I guess it was, what, 32 years between the beginning of my career and when Till died, if I wasn't extremely busy, I didn't deserve to walk the face of the planet. You know, I just thought busyness validated me. And I think a lot of us mm. think that. And, you know, going back to the inner child, the inner child will tell us the world is not safe. You better hustle. You got to do what it takes to stay ahead of the, the mean girls and the bad kids and the, the rough parents mm. and whoever else was in your space, you know, making life hard. You've got to hustle to stay safe. And um, that will often drive us to overwork. And I I know that was very true for me. And the overwork I experienced was really um, like I didn't even question taking on more responsibilities all the time. I just it was like, bring it on. And I think I was pretty addicted to the adrenalized feeling I had of overworking. And uh, when it all went away and I was quiet for two years, my whole nervous system recovered. It took two years. It took two years for my adrenaline to just kind of re-regulate and my energy started to come back. And I was grieving. So, you know, things were very, very askew and quiet. But then at the end of that period of time, when I was just getting into uh, the relationship that is now my marriage, I began to really feel like I had been reborn and like something really had changed for me fundamentally. And I had energy and... The best thing was I felt like my little inner child was happy and um, she's Mm. still she's still pretty happy and bouncy. And I just have more joy. I just have more joy in life and things have become more playful, you know. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, it's 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 really good that that I think I think. There, there are there are certain kind of defining moments that happen in our lives that that can we can we have choices. It's you know it's it's this place where we we can decide how we want to react to mm. it. You know, my son had cancer. Does that mean that my life is over? Mm-hmm. You know, I ended up going to medical school, mm. right? Um, so for you, I think I think. One of the things that I think is so powerful is learning how to handle grief. Mm. And and the longer we live, the more grief we're going to have because we're going to outlive people. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're going to see things that, that maybe, you know, we didn't expect to see. I mean, death is never expected, even though we know it's coming. Mm. And so it's like this paradox for us. And so what what do you say to somebody who is still stuck in grief because I'm sure, I mean, I watched my father, he lost two sons while I was still alive mm-hmm. and while well, he was still alive, I mean, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he would just break down in tears sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and so how do you handle it when the waves of grief come? Well, you know, 
what I want to say about grief is that when you have a sudden shocking um, grief event, like my daughter's mm -hmm. death was for me, um, it takes a year to acknowledge it happened and to really get it. Yeah. Because you keep thinking you can call them. You, oh, I should buy that gift. No, wait a minute. She's not here anymore. You know, it's like that. Um, I think I gave myself full permission from the very beginning to cry as much as often, as noisy, as loudly, as, you know, ugly as possible. <laughs> I just, and I put Kleenex everywhere in my life and I just, like, I cried, you know. I just wept yeah. and wailed and sobbed and really cried a lot and, you know, I did some research on crying and um, the chemical composition of tears of grief is different than the composition of tears for, you know, crying from laughter or crying in frustration. And I think it's mm. part of the body's way of soothing ourselves. So the first thing I would say is cry a lot. And then the second thing I would say is stop and make space for the grief and make space for the tears. Because if I, I could have worked through it, and I know people who have worked through their grief, and that's what keeps you grieving for the rest of your life. You know, you, mm. you, you cannot get around it. You have to go through it. But you can yeah. handle it. You were built to handle it. No grief is too large to tolerate. No matter how, you know, if I can do this with Teal's death, because Teal and I were extremely close, if I can go through her loss, anybody can grieve anything. And, you know, I've met a guy who lost his entire family and his children, his children, his wife, the whole family, over the course of five years, one by one, they all died. And the kids, wow. it's small children even. I mean, it was just yeah. this extraordinary string of events. There were like four people around this guy who died. And he survived and went on to just teach people about massive grief. And, you know, they always say mm -hmm. when you lose a child, you become better or you become bitter because the opportunity is to take what has happened to you and change your life in a positive way and perhaps even help other people or mm -hmm. stay fixated on the fact that something you didn't expect happened that was really, really devastating for you and make it be devastating every day. And then you get to hang out, not in grief, but in your resistance and your anger to the grief. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, there's a couple, couple books that come to mind when you started talking about that. And one is Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking, mm -hmm. which is probably the best book on grief I've ever read. Uh, it's a play, mm -hmm. it, but I, I got it on Audible. Mm -hmm. It was free on Audible with my <laughs> subscription, and it was read by some really fantastic actress. Mm -hmm. And it was just so profound mm -hmm. that um, that that I I keep on I keep on thinking about mm -hmm. it. It was just really a good cool. because it's like sudden loss and grief. Um, the other the other book I think about as you as you talk about going through things is Ryan Holiday's book called the um, The Obstacle Is the Way, mm -hmm. and we we tend to want to resist the change that comes into our life but really the only constant is change yeah. and so so it the more we can start to accept and acknowledge and and kind of be like the water we're going to be able to you know kind of get through whatever life sends us mm. um so with that um we're almost out of time what 
what what's a one practical tip that you can give to the listeners that that is going to you know give them some actionable uh, <laughs> kind of stuff to to move them forward? In well, I'm assuming your busy, driven women do not have time to meditate and probably don't uh, move their bodies as much as they'd like to. So I'm going to suggest you combine them with a 20-minute walk in nature because 20 minutes walking in nature is the equivalent of two hours walking in a city in terms of your your nervous system and understanding how you flow with the universe because it's all around us when we do a little forest bathing. Mm -hmm. And I'd also say, you know, come on over to my Facebook group for Extremely Busy Women, which is 55,000 women who are all showing up and helping each other figure out all this stuff. And uh, also my podcast, Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women, where I have all kinds of interesting people sharing their insights about self-care. Awesome. And where can people find you? SuzanneFalter.com. It's S like Sam, U-Z-A-N-N-E-F like Frank, A-L-T like Tom, E-R.com. Uh, Suzanne, thanks so much for being a part of uh, the Launch Your Life podcast today. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dr. G. Great. 